This is CF City Views, stories of better community building, a Cadillac Fairview podcast, exploring the shape of our cities together and transforming communities for a vibrant tomorrow. The land on which this podcast was recorded and on which the city of Vancouver was built is the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Though this podcast discusses the evolution of Vancouver as a contemporary city, we acknowledge and honor the fact that these lands have been the sacred home of Indigenous communities who have lived and worked here from time immemorial. Here's your host, Brent Totterin. Hello and welcome. I'm city planner and urbanist Brent Totterin, and this is CF City Views, stories of better community building. It's a conversation about how we shape our cities and how community building decisions contribute to urban life. Or maybe they do the exact opposite. When CF asked me to host these episodes on Vancouver, they knew my reputation for not pulling any punches when it comes to the public interest. That will be our approach to this podcast, telling it like it is and was with the ambitious goal of inspiring better city making. The first three episodes come to you from Vancouver and profile three powerful eras of downtown city building, overlapped with three eras of one of Cadillac Fairview's most intriguing and iconic projects anywhere, the CF Pacific Center. It's fair to say I know a thing or two about downtown Vancouver. Not only do I live here, I was the city's chief city planner for six years. But I sure don't know everything, so I'm really glad that we've invited some friends and experts to each episode, and together we're going to tell you the story of how a very bold city and a very bold project supported each other over decades to achieve some really special community building. In this episode of CF City Views, we're discussing the first iconic era of Vancouver city making, the famous refusal to let freeways penetrate the downtown in the early 1970s and how that decision changed everything for the city and paved the way for the plan, design, and construction of the CF Pacific Center. Today, I'm chatting with a former downtown business figure, an influential Vancouver architect, and two CF leaders. In the 1950s and 60s, freeways and suburbs were business as usual. Cities were places to work, not live, and cars were the way to get there. So engineers and planners built the infrastructure for people to drive their Oldsmobiles and their station wagons, and they developed suburbs for people to live in. That was so normal at the time, it probably seemed like the only option. So when Vancouver, rather shockingly, said no to the same inner city freeways that so many other cities were saying yes to, it probably seemed a bit crazy. But let's be clear, it wasn't because Vancouver city planners were particularly smart and understood that more freeways would just induce more driving or understood that the freeways would lobotomize Vancouver's waterfront and devastate diverse communities, or understood that rejecting them would spark a model of counterintuitive city planning that would make Vancouver famous in urbanist circles. In fact, it wasn't the professional city planners at all who rejected the freeways. In those days, most city planners were civil engineers, and they were actually championing the freeways. Ordinary citizens got the freeways killed and elected a new city council who famously fired the chief planner hired a new one, and started Vancouver's downtown on a whole different path. I spoke with influential Vancouver architect James Chang, someone who has really put a major stamp on the downtown in recent decades, about the importance of that freeway rejection. In the 70s, there was a renewed interest in urbanism, actually all over the West Coast. There was a lot of hippies, you know, there was the Earth Day was invented in those days. People starting to complain 
about automobile-dominated environments. I think the people of Vancouver actually was very advanced in, in their understanding and perception. They're saying, hey, we don't want freeway. It was more or less a grassroots people reaction. That reaction was starkly different from other nearby cities, really setting Vancouver apart even more in the international urban landscape. I recently caught up with one of the longest-serving downtown warriors in Vancouver history, Charles Gauthier, the president and CEO of the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association from 1992 to 2021. Here's what he had to say about how the freeway rejection set a new path forward. It provided a great opportunity to you know, develop the downtown in a much different way than what we had seen happen in many U.S. cities, U.S. downtowns. It provided an opportunity to really capitalize on the walkability. I viewed it as very much a blank canvas and an opportunity to do some really exciting things and you know, to capitalize also on the livability of the downtown. The successful squashing of the freeway project would have ripple effects on Vancouver for decades. And really, those ripples have never stopped. Many local urbanists, myself included, refer to this decision as the most important in the city's modern history. It sent downtown in an all-new direction, a new kind of city building that focused on living downtown, not just in the burbs, and one that would value alternative forms of transportation, not just the automobile. But hindsight, as we know, is 2020. As CF Vice President of Development Matthew Cavanaugh pointed out to me when we spoke about the rejection of the freeways and how it changed Vancouver forever. You can see now today that it, it was the right call, but at the time, you're probably absolutely right. There were probably a lot of very concerned people thinking, we've just sunk a, a very sizable investment into downtown. How are people going to get there? And for the most part, I think that's really managed to stave off itself through the investments in public infrastructure, where we see, you know, it took a little while, but about 10, 12 years later, we had the expo line coming in. And that's probably equivalent to what 10 lanes of freeway people say, a large, fast, light, rapid transit system like that. I think the rejection of the freeways was just one way to get people into town. We really turned around as a city in Vancouver and really as a country in Canada, because you do see this also in Toronto with the rejection of the Allen Street Freeway cutting through parts of Toronto the same way that Project 200 would have cut through Gastown and Chinatown. Canada as a country and Vancouver really led the way in this, rejected freeways in support of more rapid transit investment and really they had the same goal of bringing people downtown, just a very different focus on how to do it. And we see now today that it was the right decision with places like San Francisco tearing down the Embarcadero and just to the south of us, Seattle tearing down Alaskan Way. We thankfully didn't spend that money on that infrastructure and just skip straight to the second step, which was the right step, which was get people in on trains and you can have that same vibrant downtown. You can have that same critical mass of people to support the downtown infrastructure without the freeways cutting through the neighborhoods. And I think that that obviously is not a very hot take here that that was the successful and right thing to do at the time. It was probably pretty scary, but the planning for the expo line would have occurred not too long after the completion in, in 1972 and 74 of the first buildings of Pacific Center. And I guess, once again, speaking for people, I wasn't there. The fear they would have felt after the rejection of the freeway was probably counteracted pretty quickly by the excitement of rapid transit coming into downtown. In the months and years immediately after the rejection of the freeways, CF was already busy planning and designing a massive community building project that was really remarkable when you think about the downtown that existed at that time. As Charles points out, Vancouver badly needed something to attract and keep people downtown. Enter CF Pacific Center. You know, a lot of North American downtowns where people were fleeing downtowns and that was also happening with 
commercial investment. Shopping malls were being built in suburbia. The response based on you know my reading of what happened here in Vancouver was the retail was starting to suffer in downtown. And this was a response to try to reverse that trend. And it also took in Granville Street because that was early 1970s. That was the remake of Granville Street as well. And so this was, I think, a very wise move by the city politicians, the city planners of the day to try to reverse that trend and to bring people back to the downtown and certainly Catalyze Fairview's investment involved building office towers and building a shopping mall that would link this all together. And I think that foresight, you know, leading into at some point, we would get a SkyTrain and a Canada Line subway system bringing people into the downtown that would complement all the trolley bus network that was already in place. So I, I do think we need to thank the foresight of Cadillac Fairview and the city planners and city council of the day to be very proactive in terms of recapturing a bit of that market share that they had started to lose in the 60s. One of the most remarkable things to remember is that CF Pacific Center was being conceived when the car wasn't just king, it was the whole court. And Vancouver had just rejected freeways with no clear idea yet about what the alternative vision would be for how people would get downtown. Remember, this was well over a decade before Vancouver would host Expo 86 and start the transformation to the transit and multimodal city that we have today. Here's Lillian Tummins, Vice President of Office Operations for CF in Western Canada. And Matthew Cavanaugh. Calac Fairview, when they launched this project, had a very true belief that there was an important piece to downtown living and working and shopping for a city like Vancouver. And I think they held firmly to that belief. So not sure if the decision with respect to the freeways would have impacted it. But I believe that Calac Fairview has a vision and it continues today of building communities, vibrant communities. And I think that's how this all kicked off because we were looking at building a vibrant downtown community. And I would say CF Pacific Center right now as it stands is still a very vibrant downtown community. When you look at cities and especially urban areas in 1972, the 70s were not a kind time to cities, especially downtown cores, nor were the late 60s. So. What, what was built here in 1972 really represents a, a major investment downtown that didn't exist prior to that. I think that's really special. We take it for granted now that we have this great asset right in the middle of the core, but when this was built in 1972, we were standing mostly in a field of parking lots and uh, really it was a suburban boom that was happening in the 70s. So it was very forward thinking at the time by the, the, the powers that be uh, both in the city and the Cadillac Fairview to put this together. CF Pacific Center would be three blocks long and fully three-dimensional in its community building. It was envisioning new life underground, new life at street level, and new life in the air with some of the earliest high-rise buildings in Vancouver. It seemed like that really was the kickoff of the core of downtown Vancouver. And I think that three city blocks that CF Pacific Center resides in still comprises of, we like to think of it as center ice. CF Pacific Center is unique in the fact that it's a subterranean mall. It's underground. And, you know, I think at that point when we were building the mall, I think it was just looking at how we can create this experience from a shopping experience and then also have some office towers that would feed customers and office workers into the mall. The original Eaton store had a lot of concrete cladding, not a lot of windows. Granville Street was seen as the entertainment district, but really like shopping, it was more of a shopping experience interior. Here's what James Chang, who later redesigned much of the shopping complex, had to say about the initial design. We were amazed 
that back in the 1970s, that somebody had the vision to create a connected three block project, both above ground and below ground, and able to work with the city of Vancouver engineering department and planning department to plan all the traffic. I mean, for anybody who has been to Pacific Center and see the service tunnels and all the underground parking seamlessly integrated into the city was pretty amazing at the time. It was not well received later on by the people at Vancouver as being, you know, aloof, inward oriented, doesn't engage the streets, doesn't have a lot of pedestrian activation. At the time, whether the building looked good or not was kind of besides the point. It was built to attract people to downtown in a way that made sense for the city at the time. And it worked. Here's Charles. I think it's important in a city like Vancouver and and our climate. And I would say that I would argue that for a lot of Canadian cities and Canadian downtowns that you know, we need to provide places that are protecting you from the elements. So having a, a shopping mall that's below grade, especially back in, as I mentioned earlier, the 1960s and leading into the 1970s, you know, we did not have a shopping mall in the downtown area. And you'd literally needed to fight fire with fire, if I can use that expression, to be able to capture that market share that downtown had lost in the 60s because people were going to suburban malls because it provided that very comfortable, safe environment to do your shopping experience. Combined with, back in the day, they would have had, as you know, movie theaters and to this day, they still have food courts or food malls. So this was an approach. It was a way to accommodate and address the needs of the consumer, but especially important in an environment, in a climate that we have here in Vancouver, that people do want to have that comfortable experience of shopping without walking in puddles and putting up the umbrella, etc. Now, I would argue, I think we need both. I think we need a really vibrant street level experience. And we also need the experience that Pacific Center Mall provides. Although the community building was three-dimensional, not all three of those dimensions got the attention and design they deserved. The rain-protected underground level was filled with retail, the air was filled with office workers, but at street level, the design was pretty grim. Like many downtown developments of the day across North America, CF Pacific Center initially turned its back on the street and looked completely inward. This was by far its greatest initial failure. Although CF Pacific Center was intended in large part to be about community building, the design suggested that it kind of didn't trust its community fully yet. When I arrived in 92, Granville Street, from my perspective, had seen better days, especially south of Robson. So from Robson to Granville Street Bridge, it looked tired. A number of the retailers that were there had not evolved with the times and had not adapted with the changing consumer behaviors at the time. North of Robson, so the beginning of Pacific Center at that end of their development. It certainly was serving a need. And I certainly, I think its interaction with the street certainly wasn't what it is today. It literally had turned its back to the street from my perspective and was definitely focused on the interior and the success of its retailers inside the mall. And certainly if the office towers were bringing in thousands of employees into the downtown, so that certainly was beneficial to the entire downtown area. But I would say that its relation with Granville Street was not what it is today. Like I said, it, it turned its back to the street, focused more on the interior. I think the street was in great need of a refresh in terms of its streetscape and frankly, of its retail mix. I mean, office buildings also adopted the similar approach where there was nothing at street level, the best they would potentially get would be a bank with street level retail. But in many cases, it was a 
lobby with some chairs and that was the extent of it. And, you know, there was no engagement with the street. And and I think you're right. It was very typical of that era of getting people into the downtown to work. I would say this was a North American experience. And then getting them out so that nine to five, Monday to Friday was the best you would get back then. So there was no vitality and no activity in the downtown after regular working hours. And To a large extent, that happened here in downtown Vancouver, with the exception that the West End had a thriving residential population. And I saw that as an opportunity to engage those people with the downtown core. Of course, that initial failure to embrace the street would end up being the most interesting redemption story for CF Pacific Center in later decades. Stay tuned for that story in episode three. In our next episode, we're taking you to the second major turning point in Vancouver's city building history, the city's successful hosting of Expo 86. We'll talk about how the World's Fair helped transform the city's transportation and usher in a bold and new downtown strategy called Living First. I'm Brent Totterin. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate and review. See you next time. That was CF City Views, stories of better community building, a Cadillac Fairview podcast, exploring the shape of our cities together and transforming communities for a vibrant tomorrow. Meet you there.